0: Section 36 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Lane. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 36. Part 3. Section 1. Chapter 1. The Children of Haman. Meantime, Reynold was hastening back to Montalban as quickly as he could. He was determined to save his brothers and knew that delay would be fatal. Arrived at home, he went straight to his stables, where Bayard whinnied with joy to see him. After eating a few mouthfuls of food hastily, he mounted his gallant steed and started for Paris, as swiftly as if his horse had had wings. He halted in a thick wood near the town, dismounted, and while his horse grazed beside him, threw himself down at the foot of a great tree and began to consider what would be his best plan of operation. Overmastered by fatigue, he presently fell asleep and dreamt that a necromancer was stealing his horse. When he awoke, he looked about him anxiously and called Bayard, but in vain. He called louder and louder, no answer was returned. He looked carefully for marks of his horse's feet, but found none. At the edge of the wood, he met a pilgrim, who spoke to him humbly. After some conversation, the pilgrim pushed back his hood and looked at Reynold with a smile, and the young man recognised his cousin Malagis. The necromancer then promised to restore the brothers and Bayard safe and sound. He took some yellow powder out of a box and sprinkled it over himself and Reynold, at the same time muttering his abracadabra, and in a moment they were changed into the likeness of crippled beggars Together they limped into Paris. A crowd of richly dressed lords and ladies were crossing the bridge over the Seine, which at the time connected the island city with the mainland. The emperor was there also, and beside him was the famous hero Roland, to whom he had promised the horse Bayard, if he would fight and conquer the sons of Haman. The horse was led by several grooms. All at once it stopped short, whinnied, jerked the reins out of the groom's hands, "'and trotted up to the two beggars "'who were watching the procession. "'Bayard is strangely constituted,' "'cried Count Roland. "'The beast seems actually to like poor folk "'better than noble knights. "'Bayard, is this Bayard?' "'asked one of the beggars. "'Oh, noble gentleman, "'if this be Bayard, "'pray, permit my poor comrade to mount him. "'A holy man told us that if he did so, "'he would at once be cured, "'and, as you see, he is a lamester.' "'Well, Cousin Roland,' said the Emperor, "'help the poor fellow up, "'that we may see a miracle for once in our lives. "'I only hope it will be a miracle, "'that the miserable wretch's arms and legs may not be broken.' "'Roland signed to his servants, "'who with much difficulty hoisted the ragged lamester into the saddle. "'They had to do it three times before he was safely settled. "'No sooner was he firmly seated than he drew himself up proudly.' touched Bayard with the heel of one of his wooden shoes and galloped away so fast that no one could overtake him. Malagis pretended to be much frightened, lest his comrade should meet with some injury from the runaway horse. At midnight, a little man might have been seen creeping along the streets of Paris, dressed in a grey coat. He kept continually murmuring, Ista ta pista and dark clouds rose and covered the sky, making the moon and stars grow dim. He at last reached a tall and gloomy-looking house, before which a guard was set, but the watchmen had bent their heads and fallen asleep at his approach. The strong oak doors opened when he touched them with the point of his staff. He entered and went straight to an underground dungeon, where three men were chained to the wall. He muttered some mysterious words, and the chains fell from off them. "'Rise, brothers,' he said. "'Your cousin Malacus is here. "'He has come to save you.' "'So they rose and followed him. "'Before leaving Paris, "'the necromancer went to the sleeping emperor "'and asked him for the loan of his crown and sword. "'Karl immediately gave them to him. "'The emperor's feelings next morning "'may be more readily imagined than described. "'When he heard of the events "'that had taken place during the night, "'he longed more than ever "'to have his revenge on the sons of Haman.' but could not see how to accomplish his desire. Cunning Ganelon then said that he was sure that Ivo had his price, and might be induced to sell the brothers to the emperor. Karl tried the plan, and won Ivo to his side on paying him a ton's weight of gold. This done, the faithless traitor went to Montalban, and said that he brought good news from Paris. He had persuaded the emperor to let bygones be bygones and all would now be well if the four brothers would only go to Folcolone, unarmed and in the garb of penitence and there beg forgiveness. The Emperor had promised, Ivo said, to grant them a full pardon and to restore them to their ancient dignities. When the brothers were about to start for Folcolone, Clarissa entreated them to beware lest the message were a treacherous one, adding that she knew her father would sell his own child for gold. Reynold sternly told her that she was an unnatural daughter, and bade her hold her peace. He then rode on, but Adelhart remained behind for a moment, and hid four swords, which his sister-in-law handed him, under the skirts of his penitent's robe. As the brothers were riding on their asses up the steep and narrow path that led to Falkalone, they were set upon by an armed band of warriors. Adelhart divided the swords with which Clarissa had provided him, and they defended themselves so well that the Count of Chalons, fearful of losing more men, determined to draw a cordon round the place where the brothers had taken their stand and starve them out. The four weary men sat down to rest. They looked anxiously all round to see whether help would not come. The hot day was over, and evening coming on apace, when all at once they saw a well-known banner on the opposite hill. It was waved by a horseman who was galloping towards them, accompanied by a small band of armed men. Reynold immediately recognised his Bayard and his cousin the necromancer. The battle at once began in the plain below. Before it had lasted long, Bayard had caught sight of its master. With a loud neigh of pleasure, the noble horse broke through the enemy's ranks and galloped up to Reynold. Malagis dismounted, threw his cousin the reins, and at the same time handed him his sword Flamberg, which Clarissa had sent. Reynold flung himself into the saddle and rode down to the place of combat, followed by his brothers, who had in the meantime caught some of the riderless chargers that were flying from the field. The brothers gained a glorious victory, and the Count of Chalons only succeeded in saving the remnants of his forces by retreating under cover of the darkness. Who told the magician? Who is the traitor? cried the Emperor when he heard what had happened after many conjectures had been hazarded, everyone came to the conclusion that none other than Evo had betrayed the true state of matters to Malagus, and one of the courtiers added that the prince of Tarasconia had taken refuge in the monastery of Beaurepart, upon which the emperor said grimly that even the walls of the sanctuary should not protect him from his vengeance, and immediately dispatched Roland to capture Evo and see him hanged. When Reynold first returned to Montalban, It was his firm intention to punish his father-in-law's treachery with death. But Clarissa's entreaties prevailed, and he promised to spare him. It was for fear of his vengeance that Evo had taken refuge in the monastery. He never thought of the emperor turning against him. Reynold did not hide his satisfaction when he learnt that Karl had sent to take Evo out of the monastery, that he might hang him at Montfaucon. But Clarissa was much troubled in spirit when her husband told her the news. Ah, my baby! She said, bending over her child, Perhaps you will grow up to be a hero like your father, and then people will point at you and say, Yes, he is very brave and a true hero, but still he is the grandson of a man who died on the gallows, and then you will creep away from the assembly of noblemen and try to hide your shame in the wilderness. Reynolds sat for some minutes in thoughtful silence, then Springing to his feet, he kissed his wife and said, You are as wise and good as one of God's angels. The traitor shall be saved. He hastened to the stable, mounted his horse, and galloped away to the forest of Montfaucon. There he found Evo standing at the gallows with the cord round his neck. Reynold knocked down one of the executioners, cut the cord round Ivo's neck, exclaiming, Be off, you rascal, lest you be hanged after all, and then beat back the other executioner, who would have recaptured the Prince of Tarasconia. Count Roland now came to the rescue, but was soon forced to measure his length upon the ground, and Reynold rode away, saying, It was your horse's fault, good cousin, not yours. Several of the paladins, who had witnessed the short combat between the heroes, began to make jesting remarks about what had occurred. Roland had never been unhorsed before, except once or twice by Olivier, and he took the matter grievously to heart. He rode away in silence, not to Paris, but in the direction of Montalban, that he might seek vengeance for his overthrow. As he was riding through a wood, he met a man with a crossbow who was shooting a deer and at once recognised him to be Richard, Reynolds' brother. He took him prisoner, and in spite of Richard's remonstrances and his reminders of their relationship, took him to Paris and delivered him to the Emperor. Karl was delighted at the lucky chance, at once condemned Richard to be hung at Montfaucon, and asked which of his paladins would undertake the task of seeing the sentence carried out. They all refused, saying that hanging was not a seemly death for a knight to die. At length, Reep, a new-made knight, offered his services to the emperor. A pious pilgrim who was present at the discussion begged that execution might be delayed until he had had time to pray for the wheel of the poor sinner at St. Denis. But instead of going to St. Denis, the holy man went to Montalban, and told Reynold all that had happened, bidding him make haste if he would arrive at Montfaucon in time to save Richard's life. Having said this, Malagis, for the pilgrim was none other than he, went to the kitchen to ask for some food, for he was tired and hungry after his long and arduous journey on foot. Reynold, Adelhart, Wickhardt and their men soon reached the gallows at Montfaucon. There was no one there, so they stretched themselves out on the grass and fell asleep, when Reep came with his prisoner, they were still asleep, but Bayard, hearing them, awoke his master with a kick. In another moment the brothers had fallen upon the imperial troops, whom they soon put to flight. They then set Richard free and hung Reep with the same rope he had brought for his prisoner. The Emperor, finding that all his former attempts to avenge his son's death had been in vain, determined on a new plan of action— He called out a large army and marched to lay siege to Montalban. The fortress was strictly invested. The besieged ventured on making an occasional sally on the enemy without the walls for the purpose of getting provisions, etc. Much blood was shed on either side, but nothing decisive took place. The siege went on for years, and neither party gave way. At length, the garrison of Montalban began to feel the want of provisions, and Reynold made up his mind to a desperate step. He broke through the besieger's camp and carried off a number of provision wagons. Malagis had rendered such action possible by slipping out of the fortress unnoticed and sprinkling some of his sleeping powder over part of the camp. As he was about to scatter another pinch, he was seized by the collar, and looking round saw that it was strong Olivier, one of the twelve paladins who was dragging him away. The rough attack had knocked the powder out of the necromancer's hand and it had fallen on the ground. Instead of laying his hand on his sword, the little man caught hold of the bag of hellebore snuff he had hidden within his garment and threw a pinch into Olivier's face. The hero sneezed and sneezed and still he sneezed, but the more convulsively he sneezed, the tighter he clutched his prisoner, whom he at length dragged into the Emperor's presence. Achoo! Your Highness, he said and sneezed. I, I bring you a-choo! The wicked a-choo! Necromancer a-choo! Do with him a-choo! As you will. Here such an agony of sneezing came upon poor Olivier that he could say no more. The Emperor thanked and pitied the worthy paladin and ordered that the magician should be bound and guarded to Montfaucon, where he was to be hanged. Sire, whimpered Malagis, pray let me live this one more night, and and let me have a good supper, for I have not tasted food for the last four and twenty hours. Meanwhile, the paladins and many other knights had entered the royal tent. They, one and all, joined their entreaties to those of the poor little man. Seeing that the emperor seemed inclined to yield, Malagis said in a grave and solemn tone, Your Majesty, I swear on my honour that I will not go away from here, without your own consent nor will I go unless you bear me company Karl then promised to let him have the twenty-four hours grace and several of the knights offered their services as guards the lords sat down to supper and devoted their whole attention to the good food and wine that was set before them while Malagis curled up in a corner close at hand appeared to do the same when supper was over the necromancer was taken to the place that was to serve him as prison and the noble knights who had undertaken to keep watch and ward took up their places for the night at midnight Malagis had recourse to his knowledge of the black art he made a deep magic sleep fall upon the camp and all within its bounds save and except himself then stepping softly he made his way to the emperor's bedside and dropped a few drops of some medicament into karl's mouth which ensured his sleep lasting for 12 good hours after which he lifted him up, and carried him pickaback to the castle. The great gate was flung open at the sound of his well-known voice, and great was the astonishment of Reynold when he saw what burden he carried on his shoulders.
1: "'Here
0: is the Pledge of Peace,' said Malagas. "'It has cost me much hard work to bring it here. See that my labour bears fruit.' The Emperor was carried to the best guest-room the castle contained, and the Lady Clarissa did all that lay in her power for the comfort of the great man. Karl did not wake till noon. At first he thought he must be dreaming when he saw Reynold, Malagis and strange servants about him. The truth dawned upon him gradually, and a bitter truth it was. Hunger forced him to accept the food Clarissa bought, though he would much rather not have eaten it. Reynold tried by every means in his power to induce the Emperor to give up his plans of vengeance, and make peace with him, but his efforts were vain. Then it occurred to him that a proud, haughty nature that could not be bent by harshness was often softened by kindness. He set Kaiser Karl at liberty, and the emperor went away from Montalban without a word or sign that betokened reconciliation. When Reynold re-entered the castle, he found his cousin Malagis burning boxes, bags, and all kinds of written papers. Much surprised, he asked, "'What he was doing?' Amalogus replied. "'I am burning all that the noble art of necromancy has taught me. "'I shall need these things no more, for my services are useless to such a madman as you. "'I am now going away into the wilderness to join the holy penitents. "'There I shall repent with them in sackcloth and ashes.' "'He was as good as his word, for he took his departure soon afterwards, never to return. "'When the Emperor went back to his camp, he related all his adventures.' The paladins, one and all, entreated him to make peace with the heroic brothers, but he refused, saying that his murdered son's blood still cried aloud for vengeance. So the castle still remained beleaguered, and fortune seemed to have deserted the garrison with the departure of the little necromancer. The store of provisions grew less every day. Hunger stared the brave men in the face. Reynold, after much consideration, thought of a way of escape and made all needful preparations. One evening, when darkness had begun to set in, he took leave of his weeping wife, and, accompanied by his brothers and a small band of determined men, made his way cautiously and silently through the enemy's lines, and set out for a strong castle in the forest of Ardennes. Next morning, the Emperor was told what had happened, and he did what Reynold had expected. He at once ordered the siege of Montalban to be raised, and started in pursuit of the fugitives. He soon came up with them, but they defended themselves so well and took such wise measures to ensure their safety that they succeeded in reaching the stronghold for which they were bound. Death of Bayard and Reynold. The heroes fought as bravely as ever in defence of their new place of refuge, emboldened by the knowledge that their dear ones at Montalban were now free. But however courageous a man may be, hunger and disease are foes under whose attacks it is impossible to hold out forever. In the time of their sorest distress, Aya went to the imperial camp and entreated her brother to have mercy on her children. The emperor refused to listen to her and harshly bade her go out of his presence, but she returned again and again to the charge, and at last Karl said, Very well, listen to my offer and let Reynold accept it if he will. The horse Bayard that Malagis brought up out of hell has done me more harm than any other creature excepting Reynold himself. Now, I will pardon your four sons and restore their fiefs, if Reynold will give the brute to me to be killed as I think best. I give you my word as an emperor that I will accept Bayard's life in expiation of my son's death. When Aya returned to the castle and showed the parchment on which she had had the terms of the proposed treaty written out in full, Reynold refused to give up his dearest and most faithful friend. Think of your wife. "'your children and your brothers. "'The gallows at Montfaucon are prepared. "'An inscription will be placed there "'that will be read by future generations. "'He gave them all up "'to die a shameful death "'for the sake of a dumb animal. "'Mother!' cried the hero, "'and rushing up to Bayard, "'he fed his faithful friend with a last piece of bread, "'and bursting into tears, "'threw his arms around its slender neck. "'The horse whinnied softly "'and laid its head trustingly on his shoulder.' I cannot do it, mother, I cannot do it, cried Reynold. Bayard and I must live and die together. Very well, my son, she said, but remember that when all my children and grandchildren are hanging on the gallows, your mother's heart will break. Mother, he answered in a strange, hollow voice, have your will. You have conquered, but I shall not survive it. He then signed the treaty, and Aya returned with it to the imperial camp. A crowd was assembled on the bridge in Paris, for the news had gone abroad that the famous Bayard was to be drowned. Kaiser Karl was there also with his paladins. The noble horse was led to the middle of the bridge, with iron weights fastened to its feet, and at a signal was suddenly pushed over the edge, and fell with a splash into the seine. In spite of the weights upon his legs, it rose to the surface once, twice, thrice, That horse is the devil incarnate, cried the Emperor furiously. Ha! Count Reynold, beware. Its eyes are fixed on you. If you are keeping it alive by any enchantment, it will be the worse for you. I will tear up the treaty. With a low cry of terror, Aya flung her arms around her son, drawing down his head so that he did not see how Bayard rose a fourth time, and then, not seeing his master's face, sank to rise no more. The hero felt that all happiness had gone with Bayard. He thrust his mother aside, flung at the emperor's feet the letters patent entitling him to his fiefs, and, breaking his sword, Flamberg threw it into the seine, muttering, Lie there with my Bayard, and may God forget to be gracious to me if I ever mount a horse or draw a sword again. Then he turned and fled into the depths of the wild forest, until at last he sank exhausted on the ground, there he remained for two days and night, overwhelmed and mad with misery. After that he went home to Montalban. Meeting a pilgrim on the way, he gave him his golden spurs and all his ready money for his grey robes and felt hat. Lady Clarissa wept when she heard the end of the noble horse, for she had loved Bayard. But she wept still more bitterly when Reynold took leave of her for ever. Who will teach our sons? she cried to be true knights and noble men, if you go and leave them thus. Our cousin, Count Roland, will do so, he answered, and you will do your part, dear wife. He kissed the tears from her eyes and continued, Accept no fief from Kaiser Karl. Go with our children to our own lands on the other side of the mountains. The tyrant has no power there, for the lands are your own. As for me, I am about to start on a pilgrimage to the grave of our lord to see whether I may find forgiveness.' you will never see me again. Saying this, he tore himself away and set out at once upon his long and toilsome journey. Reynold went to the Holy Land, where he found a fierce war raging between the Christians and infidels. He was true to his vow. He neither mounted a horse nor wielded a sword, but still he fought like a hero with an enormous club and helped in the taking of Jerusalem. After he had prayed at the Holy Sepulchre, he returned to his native land but not to his wife and children, nor yet to his brothers, for he had died to all earthly ties and joys. He went to Cologne, where the cathedral was being built. There he lived a hard, ascetic life, and worked as a laborer at the building. He did not even stop working during the hour of rest in the middle of the day, although his wages were only a penny a day. This conduct aroused the anger of the stonemasons, so they rose in a body, killed him, and threw his body into the Rhine. But the river, would not keep it. The corpse floated on the surface of the water and was drawn to land by some pious souls, and now several miracles were wrought upon those who touched his body, which showed that he had been a holy man. The Emperor, hearing of the wonders that had taken place, had the murderers tried and executed, and sent orders that the body of the saint should be brought to Aix-la-Chapelle, Aachen, or to Paris. No sooner was the body laid upon the cart which was to convey it than the vehicle moved of its own accord and rolled on and on no matter how bad the roads till it arrived at Dortmund in Westphalia where it stopped, that being the spot the saint had evidently chosen as his last resting place. The Rinaldi Church at Dortmund was built in his honour. The legend gives the exact date of the miracle 7th of January 811 End of section 36. Recording by Roy Lane.